millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jordan Jarrett-Bryan of Channel 4 News, and Richard Amofa of The Athletic. Modern football encourages overreaction. It feeds off conjecture and replaces reason with emotion. Even so, to hear a tiny minority of Liverpool fans calling for Jurgen Klopp to be replaced was, frankly, objectionable. He's a decent man, clearly running on empty. There's no respite. Tuesday's Champions League tie against Red Bull Leipzig is followed by the Merseyside derby. The least he deserves is a bit of faith. Doesn't he, Jordan? Yes, he does. He does. I think that the house that he's built there over five or six years is it at Liverpool from where they were when he walked in the door to where they were last year as Premier League champions, I think is a body of work that deserves respect and deserves acknowledgement. And I think that... 30 years of waiting to win the Premier League and an accumulation of work to get there at his time there does deserve a little bit of faith and a bit of loyalty. We know that in football, you're only as good as your as your last game. And right now, their last games, you know, last few games haven't been particularly good. And he'll be judged on that. And I think he should be judged. I think he should be judged like any other professional on their performance. You know, reputation and loyalty only goes so far. You still have to perform at the elite level. They are the champions of the Premier League. And right now, you know, they're, 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 they're sinking out of the mm. top four. I mean, in the next few days, they could be top eight. Do you know what I mean? That's not acceptable for any champion, let, let alone Liverpool as champion. So I, I think that, that he deserves the time to to fix this. And the Liverpool fans calling for his head, I think are being very reactionary and being very emotional. But I think that it is fair to ask for questions to be answered. How are you going to arrest this this, this lump in form? Are you going to, you know, secure Champions League football so that it's, it doesn't go from being a disappointing season to a to an you know a crazily bad season? By their standards, this is a crisis, Mike. But you know, any other club in the bottom half or mid table, three defeats in a row. It's not a crisis. But for Liverpool, that is a crisis due to the high standards they've set. So I, I think he's not immune from criticisms and being questioned. But in terms of his position, no, I, I think he should be given the time time to, to, to fix what's what's been a very difficult period for them. Yeah, I suppose he would accept that. You know, he's a professional you know, down to his bootstraps, isn't he, really? But I suppose 
you know, it's we in the last pod that we did, Richard. You know, we 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 looked at the the human aspects of these type of problems, and I suppose the you know, the question that one poses is, well, who leads the leader? Who cares for the carer? And I suppose dressing rooms are pretty unforgiving places. But is this where the players have to reciprocate Klopp's management skills? In other words, is it time for them to stand up? I think so. I think you raise a good point, as you say, in, on previous pods that I've, I've been on, you know, we've praised their, their mentality and the fact that they've just been able to get the job done. And, you know, you, you do look at the, you know, the kind of lieutenants on the pitch. Previously, we, we praised Henderson a lot, for example, but I think this situation is slightly different only because as he's playing in a different position, I feel like he's worrying and obviously more concerned about his own game and obviously adapts into to playing in the centre-back role. I know he's done it before, but, you know, you do lose that when you're not kind of playing in a kind of, you know, your kind of natural flow as he does in midfield. You, you like to look at the likes of Ronaldo, who is a regular in the side, you know, should he be doing more? You know, is, is his contract situation playing in, in the back of his mind? You know, is, we don't know. You know, the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, although he's young, plays a lot of games now, you know, you're looking for the likes of him to step up and he's not been on good form. The same as Robertson at left midfield, so at left back, sorry. So you're kind of looking at the spine of the team. Are they doing enough? Are they pulling through? Probably not. I think the big issue for me is I don't feel like Liverpool are playing too badly. You know, you're looking at their stats, you know, passes into the final third, they're top of that. They're top six of the expected goals, they're top six of um, touches in the opposition box. I think the big worry for me is that, especially over the last two games, is that. They've conceded goals, you know, and a lot of goals in a short space of time. So almost akin to a capitulation. So you look at the City game, conceded three goals in 10 minutes. It looks like a 4-1 thrashing. Same with Leicester, three goals conceded in seven minutes. So, so you, you go from a half-decent performance where, OK, they've not played well, but they might have got a point from it, to now they've lost two, now three games in a row. So for me, I think the big issue is that capitulation. And the fact this happened in two consecutive games now is, okay, do they need to stop the rot? Yes. How are they going to do that? Do they tighten up at the back? Do they just put more players behind the ball? Do do the senior players step up and say, no, we're going to take charge in the field and, you know, we're going to play a different way. It's really up to them now to, to have the answers. Because as, as Jordan said, Klopp has developed a fantastic side over the last two, three, four years. And it's now up to the players to, to almost pay him back, I feel. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I think Alisson in particular it reveals a, a basic cumulative lack of confidence in those around him. It suggests to me that injuries are only part of the issue. With that in mind, Jordan, did Liverpool make the mistake of not strengthening from a position of strength after winning the Champions League? And so in that, in that case, are the owners culpable? And were they, did they become a bit complacent in the transfer market? Yes, I think is the is the is the answer to that. I think um, they always say when you're when you're on top to to strengthen from from that position, and and Liverpool didn't. But I wonder if there is some I don't know some more detailed explanations as to why they didn't. Did they have the money and the finances to do that? I mean, you would say you win a a Champions League then a Premier League and then the Nike deal coming in and that's a lot of money coming in so why not and you you can offset the Van Dyke and Allison fees by the Coutinho money so on the face of it the, 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 there's no reason why the money wouldn't have been there to have strengthened but I also wonder if there's an element of 
the, the, the genius, if you like, of Jurgen Klopp. And I think the reason why Liverpool appointed him in the first place is they wanted a manager who could maximise out of not much. So if you look at every year that he's been there, he's got D-list players to perform at a C-level. He's got C-list players to perform at a B-level. And I think that is what I think was the appeal of Jurgen Klopp. I mean, okay, Van Dijk and Alisson were huge money signings, but those two aside... They've not, you know, the Salas and the Mane's. These guys are 30, 40 million max, Oxlade-Chamberlain's. And he's got them now to improve to a level beyond beyond what we believe they could, they could perform. Wijnaldum now is a brilliant midfielder. Robertson was relegated at Hull. So I think that they may have thought we don't need to spend lots and lots of money because one, this guy can get more out of what we've got currently. But also we know we've got these kids in our in our academies coming through that we can we can dip into and rely on as well. So I think it looks like a mistake in not strengthening now because it's come back to bite them on the backside. But to lose what I think it's now four of your five centre backs, that's a freak. That's a little bit. I don't care how big your squad is. If you lose four of your centre backs, that's pretty harsh. As well as Allison was out for I think about eight games in total this season through injury. You know, your front three at the same time are all knackered and out of form. So whilst I don't have any sympathy for the fact that big clubs should have big squads, I think this is a little bit of a freak situation. I do have a little bit of sympathy for for what's what they're going through at the moment. It seems like everything that can go wrong is going wrong at the same time for Liverpool. But I suppose the question has to be asked, Richard, is the squad deep enough? I think I think Jordan raised a good point in terms of how Klopp previously has improved players to 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 exceed their exceed their level. You know, talking about you know, say D list players to C list and and C list to B list. And I feel when you do look at Liverpool squad, maybe as you say, the thinking was okay. You have the likes of Roxley Chamberlain there, the likes of say, for example, Minamino before he went shipped out on loan, the likes of Origi, and maybe the hope was okay. Those players will be pushed to to a new level. But what's happened is. Although the, the numbers are there, the second string ultimately haven't been good enough. So when you look at the you know champions who, who excel for a long period of time, they're able to replace their first 11 with, with, with backups who come in and do a good job. And what we've seen, as you say, with the players that I've mentioned, and even the likes of Shakiri, just haven't been up to the standard. And I think it's almost been exposed now. I think for the last, especially two years, the first 11 have played at an exceptional standard. And maybe, you know, naturally fatigue comes in. You know, they've won the Champions League, they've won the league, they, they've they've reached the pinnacle. And I think that was, as you say, the time to go out and strengthen, as they did with Thiago, of course. But um the it's the second string just haven't been good enough and that that does have an impact. You know, for example, they look at Robertson, of course they brought in Simicast and he's had his injury issues, etc. But you know, this is a time where, you know, these players need to be pushed to another level. New signings help to do that. And, and, and strong backups help to do that. And ultimately, it hasn't been good enough. And, and that's probably why we've seen some kind of stagnation this season. Yeah, well, you look at Thiago as a case in point. He's struggling to adapt at the moment, isn't he? And he's also had his injury problems. Jordan, we've got the Champions League this week. You know, a bit like fo- football's cuckoo, isn't it? The first sign of spring. Liverpool are playing a Red Bull Leipzig in Budapest, uh, more of which later. Leipzig, they beat... Augsburg on Friday night in in minus 12 degrees. They're second in the Bundesliga, but I suppose they're still a selling club. You know, right on cue, you've got Bayern Munich confirming that they're going to buy 
take up the option on Deo Upamecano for what is a pretty much a steal in current market, 42.5 million euros. Is that the type of player that Liverpool should have signed, whatever the cost, in January? Well, from, from what I'm led to believe, they did try to get him in January and they were told that a deal was pretty much all but done with Bayern. So they were, they were. I mean, you could argue, should that deal have been, should they have been going in for him from in the summer, even mm. pre-Van Dijk injury? Because we've seen with Gomez, you know, he, he misses a, a third of the season through injury most years now. Matip is, I don't know, Matip is made of glass at the moment. I like Matip, but he, he just can't stay fit for any run, run of game. So you could argue they should have been looking at him even before the injury crisis. And when they did approach RB Leipzig, they, they were told that, you know, this this deal's all but been done with Bayern Munich. I find it interesting that everybody else has waited so long, uh, you know, to, to, to dip their toe in the in trying to sign up a Meccano. I think it's a brilliant bit of business by Bayern Munich. I tweeted on the weekend that they're a serious club. I really like how Bayern operate. They're, they're really polished machine. And without playing to kind of German stereotypes, they really seem to plan ahead, seem to wait their time. I think his contract hasn't got much longer on that. And they seem to pounce at the right time. That is a great deal in terms of finances to get him. And you'd think him alongside Van Dyke <laughs> next season, that, that that's mm-hmm. quite scary. So yeah, I, I think they should have been looking at him, but by all accounts, they when they did make the move, it was, it was deemed a bit too late. Mm. With the Champions League, do you think this is a way to salvage their season, Rich? Well, why not? Because I think... You know, especially this season, we've seen that, you know, momentum has had a big impact. And why why I say that is, I know we'll come into it later, but, you know, it's only a few weeks ago, for example, that, you know, Manchester United were at the top of the league and people were talking about them and, you know, a few poor results, they've fallen off. And then you look at City, who have just come out of nowhere and this kind of juggernaut and just can't stop, just can't stop winning. And, you know, they've built on that momentum and now, you know, we'll come into it later, but, you know, if they do win in midweek, they, they, they go 10 points clear out in the space of a month. So all Liverpool need to do is, is try and get an element of, of rhythm, a bit of confidence back. And I do feel that, you know, with a good performance, as well, obviously get get over the line, get your win, but a good performance will help build a momentum for, for Liverpool and, and help to not kickstart their season, because I don't think it's derailed massively, but... Just just to get them back on track, definitely. Yeah, we do love a, a bit of narrative, don't we, Jordan? There's obviously going to be comparisons made. Well, actually, they've already been made between Klopp and Julian Nagelsmann. Are we talking here about the sort of master and apprentice of the high press? I guess we are. I guess we are. Um, I, I see a few differences, actually. I, I'm, I'm not so sure it's, a, it's an obvious... I don't know, a mirroring of, of two managers. I think that the German thing is what I think is linking most people to compare the mm. two. I, I, I see Nagelsmann as someone that's a bit more nuanced in, in his approach than Klopp, I think is a lot more practical in his approach on the field. So I, I don't actually see a lot of the comparisons that other people see. I think it's a great test for both managers because I, because I think they're, they're quite different in, in, how they, in how they approach. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both big on pressing. But prior to this year, 
Jurgen Klopp was much more of a, an aggressive presser with his teams, whereas I don't think the pressing from Nagelsmann's teams is, is quite the same. I think it's a big week for Liverpool. I think they need to steady the ship. So I mentioned earlier on about by their standards, this being a crisis, they need to, it's one of those ones where if I'm Klopp, my mentality is just stay in the tie. Just give yourself something to fight for in the second leg. Don't lose the tie in the first leg. Because by the time the second leg comes around, you may have picked up a little bit of form. You may have some players back and you can kickstart your Champions League campaign again. And that, as you mentioned to Rich, could be what salvages their season because top four for them is looking a little bit peaky right now. I think that the Everton defeat yesterday to Fulham, I think that's actually bad news for Liverpool because I think Everton will go into that derby now on the weekend, really up for it mm. off the back of a defeat. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I, th I think this should be a really intriguing game between two managers who I, I, I think are a lot more different than they are similar. Yeah, so it's, talking of people struggling to get into top fours, uh, still in Germany, Rich, Borussia Dortmund, they're sixth and you know they've got a, a Liverpool type situation going on there. They play uh, Sevilla on Wednesday. What have you been making of the form of of the English players there? I think it's, it's mirrors the rest of the side. Just very inconsistent. We, we we know the talent is there. We know that they've got the technical ability to to, to cope in, in in these environments. But again, when you when kind of push comes to shove, we're looking at mentality. I guess. You know, these players are only young and, you know, the kind of you know, mentality and temperament on the field is only going to get better. So it, it, in, in, this, in these kind of situations, while, of course, our focus will be on the young English players, you, you have to look at the experienced players in the squad and, and, and say, you know, what, what's going on? You know, we saw the likes of, uh, you know, Marco Royce, you know, get hooked just before an hour and the, the game previous to this weekend, for example, you know, his performances haven't been up to scratch. The likes of Hummels haven't been up to scratch. You know, the goalkeeper who... For some reason, it still seems to be you know being picked week in week out, and you know we've seen that he's been shaky. So, yes, you know you, you want to see the young players kind of step up, and you know they're they're doing what they can. But I feel that there's just a mentality issue with Dortmund at the moment. In some games, they 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 are playing well, but then you know they'll concede a ridiculous worldly strike or conceding from set pieces at key moments in games and it's ultimately proven decisive. Obviously, the managerial situation is, isn't great, but they have to stick with him at least until the end of the season. So I think all of those things combined really aren't, aren't really helping. But, you know, when you say come to look at the English players, yes, of course, they, you know, they do have the talent, but I feel like they need to be pushed on now by the more senior players in the squad. Yeah, I think with Jaden Sancho, I, I think you're looking, you know, possibly a, a summer departure. There is still speculation about Lionel Messi perhaps leaving Barcelona in the summer. Zabaleta, incidentally, was, was saying that, that he should join City at the end of the season. And that's a story that won't go away, isn't it, Jordan? No, it won't. And I, I mean, I, I'm a Messi fan, so I would love I would love to see, obviously, for obvious reasons, him, him in, this, in this league. But I just wonder if it's a little bit tired now and and I wonder if it might kind of end up being a bit of an anticlimax if he does come to the Premier League um, now. And I'm not sure it's the answer for City. I, I don't, it feels, it would feel very short term. It would feel like a massive marketing ploy and a reun, reuniting of, of Pep and, and, his, and his prodigal son, which, you know, anyone beyond, I suppose, Man City fans and Pep fans 
wouldn't really give a damn about. It's nice for them, but are, are we going to see the Messi that, that, that we really want to see? I don't think we would. So I, I don't think long-term it really addresses the issues that City need to address. Sergio Aguero, I think we may get moved on this summer. So they need to be looking at a lot more long-term centre-forward for, for them. So whilst it would be a great back page, maybe front page story for Messi to come to the Premier League, I'm not sure for Manchester City, it's, 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 the, the deal that I'd be looking to do unless they can really get him on the cheap, which I, I can't see happening. No, well, I suppose when you look at, um, at Barcelona, obviously they've got PSG on Tuesday night as well. No Neymar for PSG, which again robs us of another obvious storyline. What about Maurizio Pochettino, Richard? This is his type of, type of tie, isn't it? It's, it's a, he's capable of certainly embarrassing Barcelona. Hundred percent, and even even without Neymar, you know PSG still have, you know, a talent in abundance to to cause Barcelona problems. You know we know Barcelona are very shaky at the back, have been for a while, and you know the way Pochettino likes to play on the front foot anyway. You know it just seems like a a, a perfect marriage, really. As you say, I'm, I'm I'm obviously gutted that Neymar can't be there because I feel like you know so much that he adds to the side, but. You know, you still got the likes of you know, obviously Mbappe. You know, eighteen goals in in twenty eight games. You still got Icardi. You all know what Di Maria can do. So, I I think if they if they can put Barcelona under a lot of pressure, you know, in terms of high press and and maintaining a high intensity, they can they can cause problems. I think the difference this season with PSG is that normally in league um they they are you know at this stage they they've won the league already pretty much. You know, they're going to the tie second second in the league. So the only thing that's kind of working against them is that they do have to work on, on both fronts now. Obviously, they're capable. They've got a deep enough squad to do that. But whereas maybe last season, they could rest players in the league for the Champions League and, and, and kind of be in, on kind of high intensity there, they're now having to work hard on both fronts. And that might be the only thing that works against them. What about Barcelona, Jordan? They're eight points behind Atletico in La Liga, have injuries or... Um... What about the broader lessons? They've had, you know, they're in the middle of a financial meltdown. Did they think they were too big to fail? Yes, I think they did. I think that they thought that the Lionel Messi train would just kind of stay long forever and ever and ever. And they would be this super duper club that could never, ever, ever struggle because we've got Lionel Messi. I think they they, they bet the house on on that superstar and the, 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 the planning and recruitment has has fallen by the wayside. I think they've made some really bad signings over the last five to t five to six years for sure. Wasted a lot of money, and that's coincided with success on the pitch. Definitely in Europe, in the post Pep era now, not coming through as well. So I think there's definitely an element of arrogance there for them, and they're they're having to go for a whole new reboot. And they're in a lot. In some of the figures that I've seen, in some of the articles I've I've read in the Athletic and other other outlets as well. The figures are scary. They're, they're in big, big trouble, Barcelona. Real big trouble. This is not a case of, you know, just on the pitch. This is this is financially, they are, they, 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 could, they could go to the wall. <laughs> they, this is really, really bad for Barcelona. <laughs> on the pitch, I, I think they lose this tie. I think Messi's coming, come back into a bit of form recently. So I think that they'll be a clinging to him, but it feels like Messi and the rest at Barcelona at the moment. I, I'm not really have that much faith in that team despite a, a recent decent run of form in the league for Barca but I've actually got PSG to win this tie and actually just kind of counter to Rich's point about PSG um, normally having won the title um, by now 
I think it could actually work in their favour that they still have to put, you know, they're working the battling on two fronts. I think it keeps the intensity levels strong. I think it keeps the concentration strong. There's no room for complacency. I, I think every game meaning something, whether it's league or Europe, actually may benefit them as opposed to the drop-off of we won the league. So we've just beaten a team of 17th, 7-0. And now we've got to go and play a top European team. And that kind of getting up for a European tie, I think they they, they often, bar last year, struggle with. So in a weird way, I think the fact that they're, they're battling on both fronts could actually work in their favour. Yeah. Where do you think the balance of power in Europe lies, Rich? You know, we've got, we talked about Bayern indirectly, they look to be a bit of a juggernaut, to use your word, about the other team I'm going to mention, Manchester City. If you're going to make a book on this, who are the favourites for the Champions League at the moment? I think Bayern Munich remain as favourites because they know how to get their job done. They, you know, they, they've proven, especially over the last 18 months or so, that even though at the moment they're not playing too well and they, they do need to improve if they are going to win again, they've, they've proven that they can just get the job done. And, you know, scoring at key moments and, and just killing off games. Manchester City have the capability to do that. We've seen that over the years, but when push has come to shove, they've not turned up in big games. You know, a lot a lot has been made of Guardiola for the genius that he is going into games and maybe overthinking or over-tweaking certain formations rather than just going with, with what they know best and... But what we're seeing this year, especially with City, as we say, is that consistency. So if they can maintain that, then, of course, they can go all the way. And, and they should do. You know, maybe people say they should have won the Champions League already. If there's a time to do it, this is the best time. And we said this last season, of course, but things have kind of maintained that kind of status quo almost. So there's no reason why City can't go all the way this year. But it's just about maintaining that consistency. And, and in big games just doing what they do best and maybe not overdoing it in terms of tactics and just playing their game and going out and winning games. Yeah. If we're looking at the Premier League, Jordan, we're now looking like a formality, aren't we? It is a... Basically, we might as well send a trophy up to um, the Etihad post-haste. Yeah, it's done. It's done. It's, it's Man City's now. I just think it's a question of... By how many points, I don't see anybody really, well, nobody challenging them in, in terms of taking it from them. I just, it's a question of, do they win it now by, you know, by eight points or 15 points? I, I think that, I think we're at that stage now. So they, they, they might as well send it up and send it up to them. I think what's interesting is the race for top four, because in a, this might sound a bit weird, but I'm not so sure anybody bar Man City, you could put your house on finishing top four. I know people would say Leicester and United, they're bankers for top four. Are they bankers? They're very likely to. They probably will get top four. I think Leicester will get top four, but I don't think anybody's guaranteed top four. If Everton can sort themselves out, West Ham can can not do a West Ham um, and finish the season strong. <laughs> uh, you know, Liverpool around, I, I don't know. There's a few teams that I think could could still be in the mix there. So that for me is where the real focus is because, yeah, the title's done now. I think it's about... The, just to go back to the Champions League, I think the focus for Manchester City is can they see off the Premier League as soon as possible? So in a kind of, to Rich's point earlier on, the opposite of PSG. So they can then focus solely on the Champions League and win that because that's what they really, really want. Wrestling back the Premier League was obviously a big thing for Pep after, in my opinion, losing the league in quite a humiliating fashion. 
But I think the the real overall mission statement for City clearly is the Champions League. So they'll want to wrap up this league ASAP so they can get back now to focusing and preserving and resting their team for, for Champions League games. Yeah, City have got Borussia Mönchengladbach in Budapest. Chelsea, they're, they're going to play Atletico Madrid in Bucharest on February 23rd. All part of this... Uh, wild and wonderful uh, European tour that people are having to make because of the COVID restrictions. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but in specifics with Chelsea, are we seeing the first sign of the Thomas Tuchel era beginning to shake down, Richard? You know, we've got, looks like Ben Chilwell could be the principal victim of of that era. Ziyech is, is wanting talks about his, the way he's being used. I suppose it's an inevitable consequence of of pretty rash and certainly unbalanced recruitment, isn't it? I I think so. I think what we're seeing now from Chelsea is a more possession-based style of play. And, you know, they're they're now beginning to control games a bit more. You know, I guess under Lampard, it was a bit, you know, they were great on the transition, but very vulnerable on the transition. You know, they conceded quite a few goals on the break last season, for example. I think it was eight or nine, one of the highest in the Premier League. So... The fact that they're now controlling games, you know, obviously gives them a, a big advantage. But what we're not seeing at the moment anyway is, is is them penetrating. I guess a lot of the focus is obviously through the sides. Mason Mount's obviously impressing in, in the middle. But um, it, it, it will take time, you know, as I say, he hasn't been there for that long. But we're already seeing, you know, his, his style of play come into play and credit to him. I feel a bit sorry for Chilwell. I know Alonso excels in this 3-4-3 formation, but if you actually look at their stats per game, I know Alonso's got a smaller sample size, but they are quite similar. And it does show that Chilwell can do that job as well. Added to the fact that he's more solid defensively, he'll probably feel he's been a bit hard done by there. And it's actually ironic, you know, we're talking about recruitment and kind of haphazard recruitment. Chilwell was probably... In terms of all the signs that came in, it was probably Lampard's, say, not favourite of all, but in terms of the one he had the most influence on. So it's, it's interesting that, that that's happening. With Ziyech, again, talented player, but he struggled for, for fitness. So, you know, if he can get himself fit and, and then we can see the best of him, then if he's not playing well, then we can ask questions there, of course. But, you know, maybe he should, you know, try and get back to full fitness first. Of course, it's getting the best out of the likes of, of, of Havertz and, and Werner, you know, the, the big money signings. I, I feel overall the recruitment hasn't been too bad. They've, they've, they've focused on a lot of problem areas there. If anything, the, the biggest masterstroke was probably getting in Thiago Silva at the back. It's a shame he's injured for this game because, you know, these are the kind of games you want him for. You know, Atletico, big, experienced centre-back. It'll be a real miss for them. But um, I, I don't feel their recruitment was, has been too bad, to be fair. I just feel like... Maybe they didn't have the manager to piece it all together and maybe Tuchel was the man who, who, who's best to do that. Mm. Yeah, as you said, Jordan, earlier on, it, it is a, a really unique, very strange season. If you look to the Europa League, Arsenal's away leg, if we could call it that, against Benfica is going to be in Rome and their home leg is going to be in Athens. We understand why. But is the competitive balance of the competition in danger of being compromised here? Yes, it is. But I think it's always been in terms of this season. And I just think that once the decision was made or taken that European football was going to happen, 
we it's a case of now well the whole thing is going to be compromised so it doesn't really matter if one more thing is compromised some teams haven't got players due to covid some teams have to play their games at certain ven different venues different countries even i think the whole season has been compromised i think that that is the compromise we've had to make if we want to have football there was no way of having football on this season without compromising it so for me there will be an, an asterisk by whoever wins the premier league whoever wins the europa league whoever wins the champion there'll be an asterisk to me because the circumstances are not are not are not normal now you could argue they're not normal for anybody so it's unfair for everyone so maybe there shouldn't be an asterisk but it's definitely been an unusual season where I think if you're going to decide to carry on playing football without the usual circumstances of, of which we normally play football under then you have to accept then that these sorts of things are going to happen you're going to have to some teams are going to be not playing at their home ground so I'm at peace now with the fact that the whole season is un, has been compromised all year so we might as well just kind of see it through now yeah but there's still some things that jar Richard how can you have and how can you apply the away goals rule if no team is really at home it doesn't work for me I, I agree it's something that I've we've kind of had debates with in, in the office and, and stuff like that and I, I do feel that yeah I, I'm with you Mike I just don't see because I guess the whole point of that I say the away goals rule is that the team has the home home field advantage and it gives the away side impetus to, to attack etc but if, if we're playing at neutral venues anyway you know there's probably even an argument just to say this should just be one-off legs anyway rather than you know as you say this European tour I, I'm a big fan of away goals to be fair I, I mean I don't mind it either way but um, in this scenario I just can't see why it's 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 there I guess you know they want to try and keep things as, as, as normal as possible. And as you say, things are going to have to adapt in this COVID era. But it just seems a bit odd that it's still there, considering the circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Arsenal, Jordan. Perhaps it might be a bit more pleasurable than normal after four goals on Sunday. Mikel Arteta is basically saying this next fortnight is crucial. Do you agree with him? Every fortnight's crucial at Arsenal. Bloody hell. It's like every two weeks, is the, this is the two weeks. This is the... Oh, I was like, come on. The, the, the life of an Arsenal of an Arsenal fan. Um, is it crucial? And I would ask him why, you know? Okay, I get the European football's back and it presents the only opportunity now for Arsenal to go deep into this competition and, and win some, some silverware and thus get back in the Champions League. But... I'm I'm not sure I agree with him that it's crucial. If Arsenal get knocked out, what what happens then? So what? Do, do you know what I mean? There's no what, what there's there's no crisis there. Benfica, uh, you know, they're ten points off off the top in fourth in in the Portuguese league, and I'm a lot less fearful of the tie now than when I was when it was first announced. I think I was actually on the pod just we just we did a pod straight after the draw. And I wasn't at that point. Arsenal were like nineteenth or something stupid, and you know it was it was all doom and gloom. Um, <laughs> I think going into the, into this tie, Arsenal now, unlike then, are the favourites. But my big issue is I, I'm a bit I'm a big person on trust. I'm a, I'm a big trust is a big thing for me, and I don't trust this Arsenal team. I just don't I don't trust them, Mike. So whilst Arsenal going into this game for me as the favourites, 
I think Arsenal have gone into many games this year of favourites and still lost. Arsenal have better players in Benfica, but Arsenal have got better players in Burnley and Burnley beat them at the Emirates. So I don't think any Arsenal fan that's not being completely biased or crazily hopeful can say hand on heart, they are going to back Arsenal to win, to win this game and win this tie. So is it a crucial two weeks? No, it's not for me. But I think if they want to have serious aspirations about winning this trophy, th this is a game, obviously, where they have to show they're serious about trying to win, win the Europa League. I actually think going, getting into the Champions League next year would be in a really backwards way, a backwards step. Arsenal aren't ready for the Champions League. They're just not ready. They're not ready in terms of their development under Arteta. They're not going to put in the money to bring in the personnel to compete in the Champions League. So in a really perverse way as an Arsenal fan, I wouldn't mind getting knocked out of this tie. I know that you shouldn't be saying that about your team, but I'm going to say it anyway. I wouldn't mind finishing below seventh, no European football next year, because I think that would enable Arteta to have the one game a week and the coaching to really build this Arsenal team to become a top six, top four, and then title contending team over the next three years. Well, you've just pushed the, um, the accountants at... Uh... <laughs> towards a nervous breakdown there. I can't see that happening. But, um, well, and I suppose in, also within that time frame, you know, you're talking about Premier League matches against Manchester City and Leicester. So I get what Arteta was, was getting at. Should we try and provide a little bit of, of hope and solace for, for Jordan, uh, Rich? You know, until they, they had a sort of a, they, a, a near seizure when, when Leeds scored two, two goals back at them, after going four 0 up, there was a there was a lot to admire about the fluidity of of their performance against Leeds, and you know Saka and and the younger players. Odegaard looks interesting to me. What do you make of them? Yeah, I feel <laughs> if there's any team that can make a four 0 lead look shaky, it's definitely Arsenal for sure. But you know, there, there, there's a lot for you know, as you say. I've been very impressed by Saka this season. You know, he's a shining light. The likes of Smith Rowe and, and you know, when Martinelli is, is, is back fit. You know, these are kind of players who are driving Arsenal forward now. They've got, you know, that obviously the pace, enthusiasm and really good quality. And, you know, even looking at um, uh, Sunday's game, I was really impressed. Um, look, we, we know what Leeds are going to bring now. We, we've seen when they go away from home. And they still kind of play the same style and they've conceded a lot of goals, you know, sort of at Old Trafford, sort of at Sanford Bridge, saw it yesterday as well. So, but I mean, Arsenal had to had to exploit that and, and they did and, you know, they probably could have got more goals as well. So it's good that we're seeing an upturn in, in form there and it's a positive result. But I'm with Jordan, when he says about the next two weeks being crucial, maybe in terms of building momentum, yes, but, you know, Arsenal lost to obviously lost to both Leicester and City this season quite convincingly. So maybe he's saying, you know, I want to see an upturn in performance and maybe, you know, how, how far have we come this season from losing to these sides previously in the campaign? As you say, there are positives there, but I don't feel, as you say, if they lose, they get knocked out and lose both, you know, against City and Leicester, is, is it going to be much of a surprise? Probably not really. So... There are, as you say, positives there of the young players, but it's how do I say? You know, it's just Arsenal at the moment. You know, some 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 games are half decent, some games are, are poor. So it's probably just where they're at at the moment, to be fair. So if we've established you can be Arsenally, are Spurs <laughs> still Spursy, uh, Jordan? <laughs> Arsenally, I like that one. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, yes. But I mean, Spurs fans hate the the, the term Spursy. What does it mean? It mean anything? Well, actually, it does. It means that anytime you get anywhere close to doing anything special, you Spurs it up. So let's let's put that to rest. What, but what I will say, and um, this might sound weird, I actually think Spurs are miles ahead in terms of equipped, being equipped to win the Europa League than Arsenal are. I think they have the they have the squad that can really win. They've got the manager that can win this as well. I, I would put more money on Spurs going to the last four at least than I would than I would Arsenal. And I think if Spurs and if Jose Mourinho is really smart, he would make a beeline for the Europa League now because he was brought in to win trophies. The Spurs fans that I know are not happy with the football that they're seeing. They're not happy with the, the, the deployment of their attacking players, despite Kane and Son scoring lots of goals. So if they can win a European trophy and off the back of it, get themselves in the back door of the Champions League next season, I think that would be huge for Jose Mourinho. If, if, he, if, if Mourinho doesn't win a trophy this season, the, 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 the contract he's on is so big, it's hard to see Daniel Levy sacking him. But if the fans are back in the ground next season, off the back of this season, which has brought not great football and no trophies, I, I, I think it could be a really, really harsh start for, for Jose Mourinho going into the new season. If he can go into the new season with Champions League football and a European trophy, I think it helps him. I, I, I think... On your notes and prepping for this 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 discussion, Mike, you mentioned Hugo Lloris. And forgive me if I'm jumping ahead if you wanted to ask Rich the question, but I've just got to say about Hugo Lloris. No, no. I've never, ever had him as top, top, top elite. And people throw the hole, he's won the World Cup, captain, blah, blah, blah in my face. It's like, yeah, okay. About six, seven years ago, he was talked about as one of these keepers in the elite bracket of world, world, world goalkeepers. I never had it. He makes way too many gaffes to me to be in that elite bracket with De Gea at that time and Oblak and, you know, Neuer and Buffon and Courtois. And I think we've seen over the years at Tottenham that despite being, I think, a competent captain there, and I'm, by the way, I'm not a fan of goalkeeping captains, but that's a separate thing. He makes so many gaffes and mistakes I just don't see how you can really have him as an elite goalkeeper. And I think in terms of moving forward, if I was Spurs, if they really want to win the top trophies the next couple of years, I'd be looking at a new goalkeeper. Because I just think he he's, he's never really been, for me, a top goalkeeper. He's made some insane saves. I've seen him make some ridiculous saves at Spurs and then throw one in at the other end. So for that, I, that, that for me isn't an elite keeper. Sorry, bit of a rant there. That's okay, man. Uh, and, and thanks, by the way, for uh, confirming we don't just throw this thing together. <laughs> um, you know, you, you mentioned ridiculous saves there. Rich, what about that save by Kasper Michael against Liverpool on Saturday? Leicester, they're away at Slavia Prague in the Europa League on Thursday. How do you, you know, what, what's your, your take on the way that they've developed and do they have the depth to sustain challenges over multiple competitions? I tell you what, I've been I've been really impressed with Leicester this season. As James Madison said after the game, they've had a lot of injuries as well, and it hasn't really been spoken about in the you know in the, in the same way as other clubs have been for whatever reason I, I don't know. But they've really adapted and and just got on with it and got the job done. In, in, you know, in fact, out of the twenty two outfield players in their squad, they've had fourteen injuries, which is is just insane. Yet. They're still finding a way to, to, as you say, to get games over the line. They're still playing decent football. And that's, you know, credit to Brendan Rodgers for setting up his side and having a system where 
you know, if players are missing, players can just come in and, and, and do a job. You know, they've had serious injuries at the back and I've seen another one now of James Justin, who's having a, ph- a phenomenal campaign, even at left back, you know, out of position, which again, due to injuries, he's had to fill in there and, and, and he's done well. So when you're looking at a, a side who, who's been really impressive this season, Leicester have really, they've really impressed me. Especially, you know, you look at the back end of last season where they had Champions League football in their hands and, and threw it away. You maybe would have thought, mm, you know, maybe they, they, they might regress this campaign. But, they, you know, the players have stepped up. You know, as you say, we're talking about players stepping up. And they've played a variety of different formations this season. Yet, they are still playing a good brand of football, at a good temper, a good intensity. And, as you say, they're getting their, their just rewards with, with, with their positions in the table. As you say, now we've got the European campaign coming up. Will it have an impact on them? It remains to be seen. But, you know, in the side of Leicester, you know, they've got players who are who are hungry, they've got players who are fearless, and they've got players who, whatever the challenge ahead of them, will go out and, and, and do a job, you know, to the best of their capabilities. And with that, it's just an exciting mix. So I'm, I'm excited to see where, where they can go this season. Yeah, there's certainly a vivacity about them. And, you know, younger players stepping up, you know, James Madison, Harvey Barnes, who's actually the the most prolific English midfield player in the Premier League at the moment. And I find it a quite a jarring contrast, Jordan, to Manchester United, who, if you look at it logically, the Europa League should be their principal target, shouldn't it? It should, it should. And I, I, I get a lot of heat for saying this next statement, but for me, Manchester United were never title contenders. They were never contenders, despite being top and second. They were never contenders for me uh, to win this. They were never going to win this Premier League. So I, I think making it similar to Spurs, a beeline for the Europa League is something they should be prioritising. I think we're seeing now, as we mentioned earlier on, City going to start pulling away. I think United's First priority actually should be securing a top four spot, but I think alongside that they have they have a they they have the squad I think to try and do some they can do some damage in this competition and I think Solskjaer needs a cup. I, I really think now he needs a trophy. I think finishing top four is impressive to some degree for them and getting consistent Champions League football back at that club, I think is imperative for Man United. But I think what's equally imperative is winning trophies. And I think that after failing at the semi-final stage last season, I think it's really important for Manchester United that they are they are they, they, they get back to lifting trophies. And, and in some ways, I mean, I might go back on what I've just said there. Maybe by just prioritising this, you kill two birds with one stone. You get a trophy and you get Champions League football anyway. So I think if they don't take this seriously, then then they're, then they're, they'll be fools. I think that we might see in their lineups in the Premier League reflecting actually saving their best squads now for European football rather than trying to catch Manchester City. Yeah, they've got uh, Real Sociedad on Thursday and you know, the Basque club have only won one in their last six. What about the mentality of Manchester United, Richard? I, I say that. You've got Harry Maguire, not to put too fine a point on it, whinging about oh, we're not getting, we, we're being penalised because uh, of this perception that we get penalties every week. Surely it's a big club. They've got to get on with them, haven't they? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel is that you mentioned mentality there. There's been so often, whenever Manchester United over the last couple of years has got into a position where they've got themselves into a, a, a key game, that's when they've been found wanting. You know, you look at the three semi-finals, well, it's four semi-finals in a row now, which, which, they, which they've been knocked out of, for example. 
and as you say, when United, you know, reach the summit of, of the Premier League, you're probably thinking, OK, now's the time to, to step up, let's push on. But it, it, again, that's when the questions are asked. And not that they failed, but they've they've not taken the, their chances in that situation. So there seems to be a kind of mentality issue there, you know, how are, how are the club going to get to the next level? Now, you've got the likes of Bruno Fernandes, of course, who is almost single-handedly, you know, pushing a, a kind of a charge here. But I, I, as you say, I just worry that in these key moments, how are United going to get over the line? I, I can't see... While I've been very impressed with how United have played this season, they've done great football, is in those key moments when it matters, it's where they've been found wanting. And that that's a big issue. If they are going to kind of take things forward, especially in the, over the next season or so, they're going to have to start winning these big games. And it's not something that we've seen. Yeah, well... If we look at what happened after that 1-1 draw with West Brom, you understand the depth of football's, I think, major problem. Anthony Martial was abused yet again. We're in a situation where this type of abuse must never be normalised, even though it's almost a daily occurrence now. Guys, I'd be really interested in your views on the development of taking the knee you know i understand the symbolism of the gesture and support that symbolism but i understand why for instance the brentford players decided not to uh, on sunday do you think players need to find more direct and perhaps meaningful ways of protest uh for me i mean just just before i answered that mike um just that you mentioned Anthony Martial there and the the the, the weekly abuse that he seems to be getting after every game I've been a very big critic of Anthony Martial over the years at United. I don't think he's delivered what I think he could have and should have. I think he's an incredibly, insanely talented player. But for whatever reason, some of which are not his is his fault, some of which are he's not delivered at Man United. He's not good enough. And I think the Cavani signing, albeit a panic signing, was to address this. They needed a killer, number nine, that was going to get the goals. And I think we've seen to some degree that being proven. Whenever I tweet a post about Anthony Martial, you know, he should have scored that goal or he's been poor today or whatever, whatever. I now have to be very, very conscious of the fact that my criticism of Anthony Martial or any black player that is fair because of their performance is going to be caught up in the algorithm of the negativity and racism that other people are going to be also putting on Twitter. So I can't now criticise Anthony Martial for missing two sitters in a game and saying that he's not good enough for United because I don't want my tweet to be in amongst the the, the expected racism that comes on the... Do you know what I mean? So now, rather than tweeting a fair criticism of Anthony Martial or any black player which I think is fair for their performance, I have to now go the other way. I have to now support Anthony Martial on Twitter and say something positive because I know what's coming on Twitter from everybody else. And that for me, I think is is a real shame because I should be able to criticise a football player for playing poorly like anybody else, but I can't because I know that that's someone that I know is gonna, I don't wanna to add to the negativity. In regards to what should be done in taking the knee, I mean, I've said on, on on this podcast, I think a couple of times now, I was never pro taking the knee in the first place. I thought and still to some degree think we're past taking knees and gestures. I think we need action now. And I think we're at the point now where Brentford, are. I think they'll be the first of many clubs that will now start announcing they're going to they're gonna refuse to take the knee anymore. Now, whether their motives are, are seeped in, in, 
a genuine need, a genuine rationale for wanting to do more, or it's just a case of, we don't believe in this thing anyway, we don't know. But I think action is needed. I'm, I'm at the point now where it's radical. I want to see clubs and players refusing to play refusing even forget walking off the pitch I'm past that Mike I'm saying don't step on the pitch we're not playing any more games until the Premier League the FA write letters to the government and to Twitter Instagram and Facebook unless you guys are going to better police your platforms we're not playing not playing means no money we know how much money that football puts into the government and the treasury if that happens and I get I can't see it happening anytime soon granted but if that happens you will start seeing change happen. But in the meantime, statements, hashtags and gestures, it's, nothing's going to change. Yeah, well, you can see that I, I find the, the attitude of the social media companies especially indefensible. Do you agree with um, the tenor of uh, Jordan's argument, Rich? I do, yeah. I think I'm just at a stage now where I'm, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm just really, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted of like, of, of, of having to constantly fight this battle you know, as you say, football is supposed to be a thing where, you know, it takes you away from the kind of ills and evils and stresses of life. So it's tiring to always, you know, see these things happening. And I've, after the after Brentford put out their statement, I spoke to a few players over the weekend just to get their thoughts on, on obviously what Brentford have done and taken a knee in general. And the general consensus was, yeah, you know, at the start, it was a, a really important thing to do in terms of, you know, highlighting the issue and showcasing it. And it was great that so many clubs and players got on board with it. But now it's just becoming a, as you say, just a gesture, just a, a thing that you do, it's almost a formality, you know, like the shaking hands at the beginning of a game. And the fact that, the whole point of that was that, okay, you shed light on the situation and then you see change and then you see impact. But we're not seeing the tangible effects of it. If anything, things are, go, are going backwards. And, you know, it constantly keeps being undermined by, you know, senior members of government, as we saw last week. We saw the Millwall situation, which which was highly problematic because it just wasn't dealt with properly. And they say now we're at a stage where what's next? Something more drastic, something more militant has to, has to come of this now. The issue is, I feel, you know, obviously players want to play, of course. But I think my issue is that the system around them I, you know, I should they want to walk off the pitch or not play, the systems and the pressures around them aren't helping to facilitate that. So they're not feeling comfortable to do that. Should should they want to do that, you know, I'll give an example. When England played against Bulgaria, and um, you know the game was halted for a bit, you know you've got this one step, two step thing. You know why why is there two step tolerance of this thing? It should be a zero tolerance thing. So the player just feels, well, what what's the point? You know, if anything, they feel like they're going to be penalised if they don't. If, if they don't comply or if they take too radical of an action. So it needs a collective force now and it, and they need to be able to feel comfortable and supported if should you know if that's the route that they want to go down. At the moment, I don't feel like they have that support, hence why it's not happening. But, you know, we, we, we do need more. As you say, players would like to see, you know, as you say, be... be, be maybe more radical but it needs the support of the of the governing bodies of of the clubs and the more senior figures within the game to say if that's what you want to do please do it and we will support you and i don't think that's happening at the moment yeah for me this is a starkly defined debate it boils down to what's right and what's wrong i was brought up to believe in basics like equality and empathy i supported the brentford players 
because, like Richard just said, the gesture has lost any impact it had in the first place. The question now is what fills the void? I think something has to be done to process understandable disgust, and it is time to be militant. Being practical, I'd be in favour of players walking off in some sort of synchronised protest. That'll appall some, but I think it's a weapon that needs to be employed. Do you agree? Please let me know either way. But in the meantime, thanks to Jordan and Richard and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.